Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor John Allen, lead pastor here at Stonebridge United Methodist Church. Um, uh, Before I read the scripture, the, the series starting place has been kind of my sharing of some of the critical theological uh, principles of which I operate. First was on the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of multiplication, how God has, a through His Spirit, a way of multiplying our gifts, our abilities, our, uh, our offerings when we put them in the hands of Jesus. Last week we talked about the love of God, how God loves us because God created us, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And that salvation through Jesus Christ is not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. It is a gift. Today we look at uh, healing. And I don't want to, you to be confused that I want to try to explain healing, why some people get physically healed while others might not and the miraculous nature of healing, miraculous nature of prayer, but rather to go to the core of what it really means to be healed. And that is, to be healed is to be the person, to return to the person that God created us to be. So if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, we turn to John chapter 5, Verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos, and in those lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who'd been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our Redeemer. May these words be your words, O God. For all that I don't speak, O God, may you add to it in our hearing. For all that I misspeak, O God, may you correct it in its speaking. Use these words, O God, to speak your holy and sacred word to us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The story of the man healed at the pool of Bethsaida is told, um, and, and the way that it's told is that it indicates an eyewitness account. So this is not a story that John is repeating because he's heard the story or had secondhand knowledge as a disciple. John was there. John witnessed what happened to the paralyzed man at Bethsaida. And um, it's an unusual story. 
It's included very early in John's gospel to tell us something about the purpose of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus. Now, I have a picture of the pool of Bethsaida. For years, we didn't know what the pool of Bethsaida looked like, whether it was inside the walls of Jerusalem, outside the walls. We knew that John had referred to it. Um, it's, I can't remember the exact date that in an excavation that they began to, to, to find the pool. Uh, it's outside the walls of Jerusalem, uh, near the Sheep Gate, which is the gate where people would enter in in order to go to the uh, temple with sacrifices, thus the Sheep Gate. They would carry their sheep as sacrifices, but there would be other, there'd be other sacrifices that they would bring. Um, the Pool of Bethsaida is massive. It's in two different sections. That's why it refers to the five porticos. Um, it's a hundred, over 120 yards long and over 60 yards wide. Now just think about that. That's the size of a soccer field. And um, there's enough room with the steps. Show me the steps, the next slide. With the steps around, and it doesn't show it, but it's around all one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight edges of each of the pools to seat thousands of people. Okay? Um, the Pool of Bethsaida. Originally, it was a sacred place where people would come and purify themselves and purify their sacrifices. Over the years, and we don't know exactly why, but over the years, it got perverted. And it became a combination of Hebrew tradition of sacrificial purification and a Greek understanding of healing. Now, if you'll notice, if you have your Bible, um, there's a verse left out of the reading. Have y'all, anybody noticed that when you've read this passage? I know everybody read it to get ready for sermon today, right? Um, it skips from verse 3 to verse 5. And the reason for that is because, and we're not sure exactly why, verse 4 is an addition. The earlier manuscripts of the Gospel of John don't include verse 4. They show up in later manuscripts, and what, what's believed by scholars is that verse 4 was added to give us an explanation of, of what was happening at Bethsaida with, this, with the people that would gather there expecting healing. And verse 4 reads like this, and if you've got a Bible, it'll be a footnote if it's not included. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Hmm. Now, probably the reason why John didn't include it in the original text was because people of that day knew that tradition. I mean, it was widely known. Thousands of people would come to the Bull of Bethsaida to get healing. But as time passed as Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans and probably this was turned into a, uh, a battlefield outside the walls of Jerusalem, um, the tradition was lost. 
Bethsaida means house of grace or house of outpouring water. House of grace or house of outpouring water. That water that cleanses, that brings grace. But that was lost by the time of Jesus. In fact, it was to such an extent that the Jewish leaders in that particular day condemned anyone that went to the pool of Bethsaida. Because for them, this combination of Hebrew tradition and Jewish, I mean, Hebrew tradition and Greek mythology, it was a perversion. And so if you went to the pool of Bethsaida, you were not, you were not allowed to come in the temple. And so, at this Jewish festival, just imagine for, for a second what's going on here. You've got these thousands of people that are gathered around the edges of the pool of Bethsaida waiting for the waters to be disturbed. And then there's thousands of people that are going to the temple and they're all traveling along the same road. Jesus had to go out of his way. Now, Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem, entered by the Golden Gate, which was literally on the other side, which tradition says that, literally on the other side of Jerusalem. And so he would have to go out of his way to go out to the Pool of Bethsaida. So it's intentional that Jesus has gone there. It's probably intentional that Jesus has gone there to make a statement. Number one that he doesn't care what the Jewish leaders say. He's not going to allow them to condemn people who need the love and grace of God through Jesus. Christ, through Jesus. And secondly, to make a statement to that pagan practice that it didn't mean anything. Now, what we know about the Pool of Bethsaida is that underneath the northern part of the house, part of the pool, there's a spring that actually fed the pools. And when the spring would bubble up, it would disturb the water. And that's when people would try to get into the water. The first one to get there would get healed. The problem is, who gets there first? The healthiest. The ones who need the healing the most they're unable to get down the steps that are pretty steep and wide because people would sit there or lay on the steps. The ones who needed the healing the most were the least able to get into the water. House of grace? Hardly. Pool of healing? I doubt it. This is where Jesus comes. And what we know is that Jesus approaches this man who is a paraplegic, has no use of his legs. He's been there for 38 years. And what we know from tradition is that those who were of that extent and that ill, they, they virtually lived there. They might on occasion be able to have a place that they would go to. But by and large, they lived there and lived off the generosity of people that might drop off food or drop off other offerings to help them get to the next day. It's to this man that Jesus walks up and says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? 
In verse 5, the Greek word anesthesia that's translated ill more fully means, okay, an ailment that keeps one from being what God created. An ailment that keeps one from being what God created. Now, we don't think of healing in that, in that manner. We don't think of illnesses in that manner. We think of them as a, a broken body or a broken emotion, that this person is ill. But that illness truly does stand in the way of us being the person that God created. Because persons, particularly over a long period of time, 38 years, they lose hope. They lose any sense of, of, of the future. They give up. They truly, completely lose track of what God has created in them. And this is what Jesus, I think, comes to do for the man who's paralyzed, is to restore the person that God had created. And so, he says to the man, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? More literally, do you want something better than this? That's a strange question to ask a man who's been ill and paralyzed for 38 years. Amy, if you didn't have your legs and I said to you, do you want to be healed? You would say to me, are you crazy? That's my wife, by the way. That's why I can call her out. So, okay. I, I won't be doing that to anybody else. Maybe Nelson or Jana in the back. Let's see, where's Jana? Did she slip out? No? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's Jana. Okay. okay. Where was I? Okay, okay. No, that's not what you would say. You would say, are you crazy? I'm crazy right now. Yeah, of course I want to be healed. I mean, can't you see that my legs don't work anymore? That I've been lying here for 38 years? Can't you see that I haven't had a bath in weeks because I can't get anywhere? Can't you see that I'm hungry? That's not what the paralytic says. Instead, he offers Jesus an excuse. Instead of saying yes, he says, well, I have no one to get me down to the waters when they are disturbed, and someone else gets there before me. And it's interesting that the guy gives him an excuse, and Jesus completely ignores it and says to the man, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And the man does. He goes from hopelessness to a new life. He goes from having no future to having a future of promise. Jesus doesn't say to the man, oh, come on, I'll help you get in the pool the next time the water's troubled. Jesus doesn't say to the man, let's bring some flowers and put them around you because you really stink. Jesus doesn't say to the man, you know, you look hungry, we'll, we'll organize and bring you meals every day. Jesus doesn't say to him, let's get you down on the very last step so that all I have to do is push you into the water if it's disturbed. That's something we would say. 
Jesus said, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. Wake up to who you really are. See, for me, as I've, and I've read this passage over and over and over again, and I realized that what John is doing for us by telling this story is that he is outlining a process of healing and change that we can claim for our own lives. Because all of us are broken in one way or another. I mean, I've got bad knees and bad elbows and bad shoulders, you know, and that's a process of too much sports in the beginning and too much age at the end. So <laughs> That's not the part of me that needs to be healed. What needs to be healed is my connection to God. What needs to be healed is my mindset and how easily I sometimes can get discouraged. What needs to be healed is far greater and of more significance than limping to the bathroom in the morning. That's the way all of us are. All of us need that healing. All of us in some way or another are longing for the waters to be disturbed so that we can find a new life. And that's not the way Jesus works. First, listen. Seek to hear the call of Christ and where he's leading us. It's interesting to me that how many people would speak to that paralytic every day? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50? But he listened to Jesus. And for us, whether it's through prayer, through regular worship, through the reading of scriptures, to listen, for there will be a day when Christ will speak to us. And second, Put aside the excuses. Now, for this man, he gave Jesus an excuse, but when Jesus told him what to do, he did no more excuses. I'm going to follow what you say, Jesus. I may fall down, but by golly, I'm going to try to get up. Put the excuses aside. Well, I've tried that before. That, that didn't work. You know, I'm... I just can't seem to get much out of prayer. You know, that just doesn't work for me. Do it until it matters. Do it until your ears are open. Do it until your heart is softened. Because we cannot listen unless we put aside the excuses. And then respond, because the call of Christ will come if we listen. It may not come today or tomorrow or next week or next month, but eventually the call of Christ will come. And that's why I believe that revival is coming to the church. I believe that revival is coming to the church because the church is now listening more than it has in probably 50 to 80 years. And you know why? Because, because the church is declining, and COVID took a huge bite, you know, out of us. And I was at a meeting with a bunch of pastors about three weeks ago, and everybody's wringing their hands, talking about how bad it is. 
You know, well, people are now online. People are doing this. People are doing that. And I'm going, who cares? The question is not how bad things are, but what is Jesus going to do about it? Are we listening to the voice of God? Every great revival historically has happened at a low point in the church's history because that is the point in which we listen. And that is the point in which by listening we have the opportunity to respond. When Jesus said, get up, take up your mat and walk, the man listened. And, and finally, put away the things that separate. We miss it almost that Jesus, he says, stand up. He didn't say stand up and walk. He says, stand up, take up your mat and walk. Do you know, you know what I believe that he said, take up your mat? It's because he was basically saying to the man, you're not coming back to this place ever again. You gather up all of your belongings. You gather up that mat and anything else that belongs to you because when you leave this place, when you take off from the pool of Bethsaida, there will be no reason for you to ever come back to this place again. Put away the things that separate. Leave this place and never come back. Leave this place of hopelessness, of excuses, of disbelief, of doubt, and never come back again. We can all see ourselves as spiritually helpless, lying at the pool of Bethsaida, wanting something better for our lives. And God is asking us today, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want your family to be healed? Do you want your community to be healed? Do you want your church to be healed? Because God understands and upholds us with God's strength. Lord, I want you to heal me mind and spirit. I admit that I am less than you would have me be. Help me to entrust myself totally to you. Heal me in your time and in your way. Change me to love you and follow you for a lifetime. What Jesus said then is true today. God is working in all events. God is working in the pressures and problems that come to each of us. God is working in the very circumstances in which we find ourselves. God <laughs> knows where we are and what we need. The question is, can we hear his call? Are we ready to let the Lord of life change our hearts today? Eddie Espinoza, songwriter, tells the story of writing his most popular song. He says, uh, the year was 1982. I'd been a Christian since 1969. 
I'd slowly become very complacent, and I acknowledged my complacency before God. I was praying every day, Lord, the only way I can follow you is for you to change my appetite, the things that draw me away from you. You must change my heart. And then he said, it was on the way to work. And um, I was praying that prayer. Lord, you know all things. You know me. You know who I am and what I need. And he said, then this, this tune just began to roll in my ears. And the words came to me. And I'm sitting in a stop sign. And I'm saying, Lord, just tell me what you want. And he said, I, I got out a scrap of paper. And he says, I still have the scrap of paper. And I began to write out the words. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever pure. Change my heart, oh God. I will be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. I will ever true. Change my heart, oh God. I will be like you. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.